Let's turn to God's word and let us pray together this morning for God's help and anointing upon his word. Amen. Father, we give you thanks this morning for your presence already among us. And we pray as we come to your word that you would both anoint your word, anoint uh, Lord, this, your servant this morning, Lord, to preach your word, give his ears to hear. Lord, we ask for that anointing that does destroy the yoke. We need you this morning both to preach and to hear your word. And we ask, O God, that your name would be lifted up among us in Jesus' precious name. And everyone said it. Amen. If you turn to Leviticus chapter 1, Leviticus chapter 1, and then we're going over into Romans chapter 12. Leviticus chapter 1, and then over into Romans chapter 12. Leviticus 1, and then we'll go into Romans chapter 12. Amen. Praise the Lord. And the Lord called unto Moses and spake unto him out of the tabernacle of the congregation, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, If any man of you bring an offering unto the Lord, ye shall bring your offering of the cattle, even of the herd and of the flock. If his offering be a burnt sacrifice of the herd, let him offer a meal without blemish. He shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation before the Lord. He shall put his hand upon the head of the burnt offering, and it shall be accepted for him to make atonement for him. And he shall kill the bullock before the Lord, and the priests... Aaron's sons shall bring the blood and sprinkle the blood round upon the altar that is by the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And he shall flay the burnt offering and cut it into his pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priest, shall put fire upon the altar and lay the wood in order upon the fire. And the priest, Aaron's son, shall lay the parts, the head and the fat in order upon the wood that is on the fire which is upon the altar. But his inwards and his legs shall be washed with water in water, and the priest shall burn all on the altar to be a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savor unto the Lord. They will turn over into Romans and the 12th chapter and verse 1. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Paul the Apostle writes these words, Romans 12 and 1, I beseech ye therefore, brethren, I wonder if you're there this morning, Romans 12, could we read the first two verses together from the King James Version, Romans 12 and verse 1, let's read it all together, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I just want to repeat verse 1 again. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. These first three words of Romans chapter 12, I beseech you, are words that Paul will use throughout his letters. The word beseech, so we understand the context 
and we understand the feeling in what he is saying means to beg or to entreat someone or to request earnestly. In other words, there's a strong sentiment to what he's saying. I implore you. I appeal to you. It wasn't just a casual statement or some type of advice that he would give to a friend, but there was a depth in the whole sentiment of what he's saying. I beseech you. I beg of you. I earnestly require of you. I implore you. The apostle in the most strongest of pleas to the saints of God throughout every generation uses language that brings forth a depth and a cry, I believe, not from the heart of the apostle, but it is from the very heart of God himself. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we see in other letters that Paul used this language uh, also in other areas to bring forth a truth. In 1 Corinthians 1 and 10, we read there that he says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, we see when he brings forth the beseech or, or the cry or the where he is imploring us with that strong sentiment, he is doing it on the basis of something. So in Romans 12, it's by the mercies of God. In 1 Corinthians 1 and 10, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. So what he's saying, there is, there is a strong sentiment, and he says, on the basis of Jesus Christ, that there should be no divisions amongst the body of Christ, that we should speak the same thing. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, concerning the second coming of the Lord and the teaching there, Again, we see Paul brings forth this strong sentiment in 2 Thessalonians 2 and 1. He says, Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in your mind, nor be troubled, neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter, as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. So in the sentiment, in, in the desire to bring forth the truth, he would take the mercies of God, he would take the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, or in the name of Jesus, to implore the saints of God to live a certain way and, and to be understanding the truth that he is about to bring to us. This earnest call to give our attention to what he is about to reveal to us as if it was God himself beseeching us. It just wasn't Paul. It was the Spirit of God that was beseeching the saints of God by the Holy Ghost to speak into our lives and to plead with us, to beg us to live in the revelation of the truth that he's about to bring. And his plea here in Romans chapter 12, and this plea that he brings, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. I want you to understand what he's saying. So this is not just a suggestion for us, but there's a strong cry from the heart of the God himself that loves us and gave himself for us. And he says, this is on the basis of the great mercy of God to which you've received. Have you received mercy? Have you known of the mercy? There's a theme in the meeting this morning. I'm sure you've picked it up. 
We're talking about the mercy of God. We've been singing about the mercy of God. People have prayed about the mercy of God. Well, Paul says, on the basis of God's mercy. Now, in the context of the chapter, chapter 12, he's referring to the previous chapters that he's been talking about. Chapters 9, 10, and 11. If you just go back into chapter 9 for a moment, we see here, that he's bringing forth a revelation concerning Israel, God's people, and then us, the Gentiles, who through Israel's unbelief and hardness have been grafted into that tree. And so he's revealing to us the mercy of God, the divine providence of God, God's sovereignty over all things. And now he's bringing this revelation to us concerning God's great mercy. In Romans 9 and 15, he says, For he saith to Moses, what does he say? I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have mercy compassion. In verse 22 of the same chapter, what if God, willing to show his wrath, to make known his power, to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which he had afore prepared unto glory. He's bringing a revelation to us when we get into Romans 12, but he's bringing through in these chapters, Romans 9, 10, and 11, of the mercy of God, that God would, through this mercy of Christ coming into this world, would bring the revelation and his mercy would reach in to your life and mine, Gentiles. And so we understand here that we are the vessels of mercy. God has chosen that he would bestow mercy upon every person in this room. In Romans 11, verse 30, it says, For as in times past have not believed God, yet now, yet have now obtained mercy through their unbelief. That's Israel. He came unto his own. His own received them not. They rejected the Savior. Because of that, the door of mercy has been opened to us. And God's mercy has reached us. Their blindness, that's Israel, their blindness is only in part. There is a revelation coming to Israel where God will open their minds and they will understand that their Messiah has not to come, but has already come. And in God's divine providence and how he deals, what he's bringing to us, Paul's saying, because of their unbelief and because of their hardness of heart, then the door of mercy has been opened to the whole world. And you've received this mercy. He says in verse 31, Even so have these also now not believed that through your mercy they may also obtain mercy. For God has concluded them all in unbelief that he might have mercy upon everybody. He's not willing that one of us would perish. But God wants to show to us that he's merciful. The mercy mission of Jesus. In Matthew 9 he says, I will have mercy and not sacrifice. That's why Jesus came. In Titus 3 and 5, it's not of works of righteousness which we have done, but according to what? His mercy that he has saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Peter put it this way, in times past, we weren't the people, but are now the people of God. 
which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Have you obtained the mercy of God? Do you know of the mercy of God? I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. I will sing God's great mercy. This word mercy simply means divine compassion. Paul is setting out a plea. It's a bit like a courtroom, if I could set it up for you. It seems like he's like a barrister. And we're standing in the courtroom with Paul. And Paul is bringing to us a plea. And he's saying to us, from the very heart of God, saints, I implore you. And what I'm about to plead with you, I do so not on the basis of anything else. But I want you to think about something. Have you received mercy? Do you know about the mercy of this God? It nearly seems as though we're standing in the courtroom. And we know we've all stood in the courtroom in one way or another, maybe physically, but certainly spiritually, because every one of us are condemned. We're guilty, vile. We have no case. We stand there in the courtroom. There's a judge on the seat. It's the righteous judge. And we know that we're guilty. We're guilty as charged. Not one of us this morning. We're all sinners. And we need a Savior. We have stood in the courtroom. And the righteous judge that shall do right is upon the throne. And he sits. We stand there and the charges are brought before us. And we are guilty as charged. But as the wee song says, mercy walked in. You see that moment when we're standing there, we can't respond because everything that is said is absolutely the truth. But then the mercy of God reaches us. And Paul says, on the basis of this mercy, I want you to listen. Then he implores us on the basis of that mercy that you present your body as a living sacrifice. You see, friends, if we don't have a revelation of God's mercy, if we don't understand that God's mercy has reached into the very depths of the gutter to save us, and it's only by the mercy of God that we're here this morning. There's no other basis that any one of us are in this room. It's on the basis of the mercy of this Christ. Amen this morning. Are you with me? Are you here for any other reason? Are you here by any other means? But only by the mercy of a living Christ. You know, this week when we're out and about and doing different things and we're in one of those shops and I'm walking along and I meet a fellow I went to school with years ago in primary school where we're good friends and, and we're just talking to him for a moment and, and just very quickly, you know, I knew he had got saved. He got saved in 1996 outside the AM club. That's a, a, a pub or a club. I don't think it's there anymore, but down in Belfast. And he'd, he walked out one night. He had no Christian upbringing. He walked out into the street. There's a man standing in the street giving out tracks. He got this track. He read it. He got gloriously, wonderfully saved by the power of a living Christ. He was wonderfully saved in Shaftesbury Square out in a drunken binge. And he's standing there. And I looked at him and I said, Stephen, how's it going? And he turned around. And when you looked at him, you knew something had been lost. Something was missing. And he said, you know, I got saved. I was on fire for God. I was living for God. I went to everything. I was involved in all the church activity. I went to every meeting. went to the prayer meetings. I was involved in the youth. I went to everything. He says, I got to about the age of 30, early 30s. And then I began just to go through the motions of something. 
I began just to go through to all the meetings, doing all the things, but something was being lost. Something was missing. Something of the fire and the freshness of the salvation of God. And he just carried on. But then he says, I'll be honest with you, Tim. He says, I got bored because I was just doing everything, but I lost what this is all about. And he rejoined the army and he headed off to Afghanistan at the age of 38 and completely backslid. And we're standing in Sports Direct. And he's looking at me and he's saying, I need to get back, but I don't know how to get back. And I said, there's the mercy of God. You see, it's mercy, friends. It's not our works. It's not what we are. It's not what we do. But my God, it's the mercy of God. It's God's mercy that keeps us. It's God's mercy that delivers us. There's mercy for the prodigal son. So we stand in that place. I don't know how to get back. You know, and the devil's telling him everything. I was talking about that prodigal son again yesterday. And we're talking about as he walks that road and every thought and every lie from the pit of hell. Telling him that there's no way back. You won't be accepted. They'll reject you. But there's a father waiting and there's divine mercy. It's the mercy of a living God. That mercy never ceases. The Bible says it's new every morning. There's mercy. So we stand. We pray for that man. You know, it's an awful thing. You nearly feel helpless with words because he's experienced the forgiveness, the goodness, and the power and the fire of God. But I want to tell you, friends, I believe with everything that when a man or a woman gets on their knees and begins to call out for mercy, the Bible says the poor man cried. That's not his wealth in the bank. That's he's spiritually bankrupt. But he cries, and what does it say? And the Lord heard him, and the Lord delivered him from all his troubles. Friends, there's mercy. And so the apostle says, it's on the basis. You see, church, if we lose sight of this, we've lost sight of everything. If we lose this, then it's not anything of who we are, what we have done. It's not anything of our spiritual CVs. It's because of the mercies of the Lord. Paul says, because of that mercy, I implore you with everything that's within me. I want you to present your body as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. You know, Brian prayed it this morning. The hymn writer says, are you tired of Luke? warm service and the loss it brings. Surely is it not an hour, is it not a day that we get on fire for the Lord Jesus Christ, that the fire of a living God, the fire of the Holy Ghost burns within our hearts again. Yes, there's a world that hates the Lord. Yes, there's a world that's going to hell as fast as it can. Yes, our political system is in a mess. Yes, the world are plunging deeper and deeper into sin. But surely is it not a time for the church of Jesus Christ to know the fire of a living God in their belly? Surely it's the only answer. Every sacrifice on the altar in the Old Testament was slain and laid on the altar before God. We read it this morning. In Leviticus 1, it says, He shall offer it of His own voluntary will. You see, friends, you have a choice this morning. I don't know how it all works out. A man will argue all about this until the Lord comes. But I know that God is sovereign. I know that He is. I look over this life and I know it's because of the Lord's mercy that I'm alive today. 
It's because of the mercy of God that we are here. I know I look across this congregation and you're not here because you've done something great. You're here this morning because there's an almighty hand that when you, even when you were not saved, led and guided you and directed you to men and women of God and planted the seed of God in your heart. And in God's time, you called on the Lord and he saved you. But I also know this, that God has given every person in this room a choice today. You see, God doesn't want gifts that are given to him with our arms up the back feeling we have to do this. He rejects those offerings because he's looking for someone to come voluntary with a free will and offer unto God their lives and everything that's within them. That delights the heart of God. When that offering was being brought, it says in Leviticus 1 and 3, he shall offer it of his own voluntary will at the door of the tabernacle. So they would take that sacrifice, that bullock. They would kill that bullock, that burnt offering. And speaking, of course, of the Lord Jesus Christ, they'd sprinkle that blood around the altar. They would lay all of that, that, that bullock upon that altar, cut it up into pieces, and then the fire of God would come upon that altar. And that would be a sweet savor as unto the Lord. But thank God this morning, friends, we don't need to slay another animal. We don't need to slay another bullock. We don't need to slay another lamb this morning because there's one come into this world, the Lamb of God, that's Jesus Christ. And he laid his life down on the altar called Calvary and he shed his own precious blood and he rose again on that third day and his blood this morning cleanses us from every sin and every stain. In Hebrews 10, it tells us, but in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats should take away our sins. But when the blood of the precious Lamb of God was shed on Calvary's tree 2,000 years ago. Friends, not only are we delivered from the power of sin, from the presence of sin, and from the penalty of sin, but our sins are remembered no more. That's the power that's in the blood of Jesus Christ. There's one sacrifice. There's one blood that's the precious blood of the Lamb. And it was once and it was forever, and there is power, wonder, working power in the blood of the Lamb this morning. Do you believe it? How much we need the blood. We're going to come to it in a minute. I'll tell you why. It's going to cleanse our conscience to serve this living God, not in dead works, but in the life and the power that's in that blood. It's now the test of the will. That's what it is. When Paul says, I implore you, by the mercies of God. I plead with you. It's not Paul. It's the Holy Ghost. It's not, it's not this preacher this morning. It's the Holy Ghost. It's not just about getting a good sermon together. It's the cry. It's the heart of God. It's the Spirit speaking to the church. I implore you by the mercies of God that you present your body as a living sacrifice. Now we, beneficiaries, of the great mercy of God. He's saying because you've received mercy. Have you received mercy? Would you say amen if you've received mercy? Can you remember the hole that he dug you out of? Can you remember the day that you were saved? Can you look over your life and see even in all our feelings and our shortcomings? What can you see? You see the mercy of God. You see the hand of God. He's merciful, isn't he? 
If it wasn't for his mercy, do you know what? We'd be destroyed. If it wasn't for his compassion, it's the end of us. But God's great mercy toward us and that he loved us and gave himself for us. And so in that mercy, then Paul says, this is what the cry of the heart is, that you present your body as a living sacrifice presented to God. Who will give their bodies? Who will present their bodies to God? He's not looking for you to die in the sense of your body to die. We know we die to ourselves. But God, rather than a dead animal laying on an altar or a dead church with no testimony or a dead life with no savor, God's saying, I want that body, but I want it to be a living testimony, alive in this world, shining brightly for me, that I'll use it for my glory and for my honor. Present your body, not your talents or your gifts, but present your body. And 1 Corinthians 6 and 19, if you turn there, 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 says these words, 1 Corinthians 6, 19, presenting these bodies, we have a choice to make in this service this morning. 1 Corinthians 6 and 19 says these words, Paul the Apostle again, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought, praise God, with a price. Have you been bought this morning? Have you been ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven? That's bought with the precious blood. For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God's give you a will this morning. God's give you a choice this morning. God's redeemed your soul. He's purchased your body for his glory. That's the desire of God. That's the purpose of salvation. To save your soul from eternal destruction. But that this life would be lived in the power of the Holy Ghost. He gives you the will, the desire. You see, often, and it's said in Scripture, it's the revelation of how much we've been forgiven. You know, how much have you been forgiven? It's that revelation, that thought. And you might say, well, look, I've never, I hear some testimonies, thank God, that God's delivered the drunkard, the drug addict, and people were in prison, and they robbed banks and everything else, and God's able to save them and deliver them, and set them wonderfully free. He delivers the drug addict. He delivers the drunkard, doesn't he? That's why he died. He came for those that are not the righteous, but those that are sinners. And then there's the testimony that says, well, I was saved at the age of four. I never tasted the world. It's the greatest testimony a man or a woman can hear. Why? Because God kept them from the world. He kept them from the carnage. He kept them from the mess and the powers of darkness that will ravage a life and destroy a life. But the mercy of God keeps it. And on the mercy of God, well, I wasn't that bad. I'm going to tell you, we're guilty, vile, and helpless. Without Christ, we are charged on clean young people, old people. We're all sinners going to a lost eternity. But mercy walked in. And so it's the revelation of God's mercy. If we don't grasp that this morning, friends, we'll probably never give anything to this. 
We'll never give up anything. We'll just want to live our life for ourselves. But when we see the mercy of God, when we realize how deep and how far he plunged in order to save our souls this morning, when he took the cup, he took it for me. When he went to that cross, he did it for me. He done it all for me this morning. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. And the mercy of God reached us. And so Paul says, because of this mercy, I implore you, would you give your body as a living sacrifice for the Lord Jesus Christ? It was Paul's cry in Philippians 1 and 20. He said these words, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or whether it be by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Whatever I'm going to do, however it's going to all work out, I want Jesus to be magnified in my life. Here's a man that knew of the mercy of God in everything you know, they're going to, I think they already have done it, or they're going to do it. They give out all their awards, your CBEs, your MBEs, all the rest of it, your knighthoods, the sir, the dames, the ladies, and everything else. They're all going to go before the queen. One day, brothers and sisters, we'll stand before the king of kings and the lord of lords. One day, we'll stand right before him, the one who saved us by his great grace, the one who gave himself on that cross, these eyes will see him. We will stand face to face with this great Savior. What a day that's going to be. What a day that will be, friends. That is our hope this morning. I tell you, whatever's going to happen in the year ahead, we are going to see Jesus. Those that look for him shall see him a second time and yet without sin. We'll see the nail pierced hands. We'll look right into the eyes of Jesus Christ, the King of glory. What a day that will be. Friends, in that day, Paul said that in nothing I'll be ashamed. But with all boldness, even now, that Christ would be magnified in my life. The fullness of God. A living sacrifice. I was reading of a lady uh, who wrote the hymn, Take my will, or take my life and let it be, holy, consecrated unto thee. She was born in 1836, died at the age of 42. Frances Harvigal, I think that's the pronunciation of her name. But it was her desire to pour everything in the mission. She only lived till she was 42. And she went out over to Switzerland and other places. She remember one time she went into a room, stayed in this house for five days. There was ten other people. Some weren't saved in the house. And the rest of them, she says, were lukewarm Christians. They weren't far for God. She went into the house and she said, just the Lord dropped into her spirit. And she prayed, Lord, give me this whole house. That's what she prayed. Within five days, everyone in that house was saved and every backslidden Christian was on fire for God. 
The night before she left, she was so filled with the Holy Ghost. The Lord dropped into her spirit the words of that hymn, Take my life and let it be holy, consecrated unto thee. A year before she died, she added one more verse. She was praying to the Lord one night. The Lord put on her heart, it's time to give everything. She had a jewelry cabinet. She went to the jewelry cabinet. She had 50 pieces of jewelry in her cabinet. She packed them all up in a box. She sent them to the Christian Missionary Society. She says it was the happiest night of her life at the age 41. She added one more verse. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite while I was hold. One year later, Francis was standing looking at Jesus face to face. Do you think she regretted it? Do you think she regretted it? I don't think she regretted one minute of it. Take my will and make it thine. It shall be no longer mine. Take my heart, it is thine own. It shall be thy royal throne. Take my love, my Lord, I pour. At thy feet its treasure store. Take myself and I will be ever only all. Every human in this room has been given the ability to choose. I don't know how it all works, but every, every human, whether you're saved in this room or you're not saved, whether you're a Christian but you're afar off, you're cold in heart, you're lukewarm, you're just going through the motions. Friends, I tell you, that's a dangerous thing. It's so dangerous just to keep going through the motions just to go through the rigmarole and just to know all the stuff in our head, have an intellectual understanding of it all, but that heart to grow cold. See, backsliding doesn't happen in the night, but it happens over a long period of time. The devil keeps throwing the things and the circumstances and the trials of life as the heart grows colder and we're getting further away from the Lord. Let me tell you something, friends. There's a father that's waiting. Say, come back. Come back. The cry of God is for a world and even a church that's cold. The love and the passion of serving Christ. We fill all our time with everything else, but that heart on fire for a living Christ. We can occupy ourselves with everything else. All the things are not wrong, but we can occupy that. They're the substitutes. So because we do all that, we think that that's... And then we realize the coldness has come. And so I believe Paul... And the plea of Paul this morning for our hearts is, remember the mercy of God. Has God been merciful to you? Oh, friends, this morning, God's been merciful to me. God's been merciful. If he were to mark our transgressions, which one of us would stand? If he knew, if he was to boot up on this board this morning, all our faults and failings, which one of us? would stand, not one of us, isn't that right? 
And so we walk the life in a day when the Bible says, because iniquity will abound, what will happen? The love of many will begin to wax cold. Are you cold? Are you moved? Does the table move you? Does the table move you? Are you moved? Does it make you think of Calvary and what God has done? Are your, is there tears in your eyes? Are we so dry? Are we so formal today? You know, it's lovely when you talk to the ones who got saved recently. And think of Heather sitting here and Emma behind her and, and Kim and you talk about the Lord. What happens? What happens when you're talking to them? The tears are running down their face. They're trying to hide the tears. I'm sorry for crying. Just keep crying. Keep the tears flowing. Keep them flowing. So he cries, brothers and sisters, because of the mercy of God, I beseech you, present your body as a living sacrifice. God wants to consume our lives with the fire of the Holy Ghost. Volunteer your body to Jesus. Oh, I want to give him my gifts. I want to give him my talents. Friends, before you give him, just give him your body. Just give him your body. In 2 Corinthians 2 and 14, when that sacrifice is led on the altar, we see the New Testament equivalent of Leviticus. This is what happens. 2 Corinthians 2 and 14, Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. Make us manifest the savor of his knowledge, the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Isn't that awesome? That everywhere you go, in your workplace, in this street, that there's something that comes from the Christian. Is, is that us? Is, that's the desi- is that what comes from our lives? A sweet smell and savor? The smell and savor of, is that what comes out of us? That there's a savor arises, there's a, an aroma that fills the room? Or friends, is it a, is it a bad smell? So he says, for we are unto God, a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and them that are perished. The Bible tells us that we are to be holy. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice that he says, holy. 1 Peter 1 and 13. You know when you get cold? You know when you draw away? You know what comes in? Sin comes in. Compromise comes in. Doesn't it? Things that you would never have tolerated all of a sudden. Isn't that what happens? And so things happen then in lives. People make decisions. It's, it's unreal. We begin to do things that we'd never have done if we were on fire for God. Is it not true? We make decisions that we would never have made decisions on. If, if we were full of the Holy Ghost, we would never have done those things. You see, as we get colder, we get further away. The strength of conviction in our lives, the strength of conviction begins to ebb away. So we begin to make decisions. We've seen it a million times. We've seen it with, with people in church. We've seen it in our own. I've seen it in my life. 
Then we make decisions, huge decisions. We marry the wrong people. We take the wrong career paths. We buy the wrong house. We get the next new car. God said, I didn't want you to have the next new car. We begin to do things with not even consulting them. And the next minute we find ourselves down in a mess. See the danger of growing cold? And so we're to be a sweet smell and savor. We're to be holy. 1 Peter 1.13 says, Wherefore gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you by the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which has called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. The hymn writer says, Rivers is the promise. This shall be our plea. Less than this can never meet our cry for thee. Tired of lukewarm service. And the loss it brings if we would live entirely for eternal things. What is your service? What is, you know, the spiritual thermometer when it's placed into the depths of a man or a woman's heart, God knows where we are. Seven churches, he says, I know. When he places that thermometer in and he brings out the thermometer, I'm not saying he does it like this, but I'm just giving you the example. And he can see, oh, neither hot nor cold. If we're tired of the barrenness or the staleness Friends, there's great news this morning. There's mercy. Not only is there mercy, what cleanses us from all of that? Do you know what it is? It's the blood of Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 9, if you just turn, I'm closing in two minutes. Hebrews 9 and 13. Hebrews 9 and 13 says, If the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies the purifying of the flesh. Verse 14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Do you know the devil hates the blood? I know that comes like sometimes as a cliche, but I want to tell you, there's no cliche this morning. The devil hates the blood. Because the answer is always in the blood. And see that blood, that blood cleanses the mind. It cleanses the life. Cleanses the whole being. Cleanses that soul that we would serve the living God. The blood of Jesus Christ. Paul goes on to say, Holy Acceptable unto God. Do you know what he said then? This is your reasonable service. This is not unreasonable. This is your reasonable service. Brothers and sisters, as a year is about to close, and we look into a new year that's about to come if the Lord tarries. But I tell you, friends, we want to live it in the power 
and by the fire of God, no matter what everyone else is doing, to make that choice, I'll present my life to be a living sacrifice for Jesus. Friends, this morning, if the mercy of God's not enough, I don't know what would be. If the mercy of God's not enough for us to present our bodies, just present, well, it's sore, it's tired, it's weak, it's that, it's that. Friends, he just said, present it to me as a living sacrifice. Put it all on the altar and I'll consume it. How we need the fire of God. Let's stand together this morning.